0: Hello everyone, and thanks so much for joining us again on the Formula 1 Jackass podcast. My name is Ryan, and we are in race week. We're a couple of days away from the Russian Grand Prix, but actually, this episode will be a bit special, and here to explain to you all uh, about this episode is my raw onion to my herring, the beetroot to my levopastei, my <laughs> my good mate.
1: Christopher here, Uh, love those uh, references, yeah so it is race week this week but there's been a big you know documentary out on Netflix this month, uh, Schumacher of course and the man deserves to be talked about you know there is so much history so much legacy and F1 is what it is today in big parts because of him and it's the hero we grew up with you know this is our generation me and Ryan when we were kids it was Schumacher he was dominating you know the young kids will see Hamilton today so it would be interesting to give you a bit of our memories of him and just talk about the documentary as well. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy.
0: Yeah, so I think it's it's absolutely fair to say that without Michael Schumacher, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. You know, we wouldn't have, you know, entered the world of Formula One um, as as uh, you know, different times. Of course, we, um, we were born at around the same era where he, you know, he just entered Formula One. So we weren't able to watch all the 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 early races but especially you know mid 90s early 2000s there was only one name dominating the headlines and not just the sporting headlines but also just the headlines in general everyone knew who Michael Schumacher was and naturally you you only get um, I suppose infected by the same um, mass hysteria surrounding the superstar of Michael Schumacher, and um, even people who weren't Formula One fans or knew very little about motor racing knew about Michael Schumacher. That was the status that he he has and he had. So you know, started watching Formula One on my own because from my family there was no interest in motorsport before you know, Sunday afternoon, one day, uh, I turned on the television and there was a Formula One race on and I started following that. And the man dominating the headlines was very much Michael Schumacher. And to us, I think, you know, he's been such an important figure in our our lives as Formula One fans. And uh, yeah, I, I would say when this documentary came out, I immediately watched it and uh i was i was very very moved uh and you know i'm I'm not afraid to admit that you know i shed a a few tears over it as well on the couch and luckily i had a fresh tissue box uh, (laughs) that was that was used uh, by the both of us on the couch so uh yeah how did you experience it
1: yeah i mean like you say it was such an emotional documentary and i think we've all been like waiting for you know an official schumacher story you know it it's it it was due he is such a big name. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, his influence when I was a kid and how I got into F one because I knew about Schumacher. My uncle watched F one sometimes. Like that's the that's the first time I heard about F one, and I knew my cousin was rooting for Coulthard. Like the, I didn't even know Mika Hakkinen at the time. Like I only knew Coulthard, Schumacher. Those were the two names. I don't know. Whatever. Schumacher was dominating. You know, he was the big name. He was bringing F1 bigger and bigger. And then suddenly one year, I heard that there was a young Finnish dude that challenged Schumacher. And when I heard that, that there was someone that was Nordic that was challenging this legend in F1, that's what got me into F1. And that was, of course, Kimi in 2003, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's funny that his name is just, it is so big. My mom, she doesn't like motorsport at all. But there's like three names she knows. Um, I think it's Nakajima. And then it's Senna, and then it's Schumacher, of course. And, of course, those names were big in the the 80s, Senna and Nakajima. Mm-hmm. But, she, I mean, she has absolutely no interest in F1. But she knows Schumacher, she knows Ferrari. And I think wherever you're going in the world, and you mention Schumacher, people will know who it is. Taxi drivers all over the world adore him, you know. Mm-hmm. And especially back when F1 was on the free-to-air TV, I think he inspired a lot of people. And yeah, and we also see like the generation of German drivers that came into F1 after Schumacher, you know, it was massive. Like nowadays there's a bit of a lull again, but, you know, Hülkenberg, Rosberg, Vettel, all these big, big names, you know, in F1. So, yeah, but just to go back to the documentary as well, it was it was so good to see how they, they took the story and they focused a lot in the early parts of his career, which is, of course, interesting. They didn't really go too much into the Ferrari dominating years, uh, which is fine, I think, because... His his story is such a long one and there's so much to go through, but it was really fascinating to see him as more of a person because we've been seeing him portrayed by the media and oftentimes the British media. And, you know, he was vilified uh, as the British media do, you know, and to see the human side of him that I think hardcore F1 fans really knew, I think was, um, yeah, was very nice to see.
0: I think what's what's most interesting about this documentary was that it was a documentary about a person and not necessarily a sports documentary, you know. Yep, so, exactly, uh, it's impossible to talk about Michael Schumacher, the man, without mentioning Formula One. It's just yep. impossible. The two were intricately linked. It it composed his uh, his DNA is composed of of mm-hmm. racing, so Formula One naturally had a huge influence on his life it changed his life much like he changed formula one but the the focus of the story of the documentary is very much on the man michael schumacher who has always been traditionally very private and the man that is portrayed in the media or rather the the man that the fancy on tv you know it is a very distanced cold perhaps arrogant person but behind that protection wall that he has always put up in his life rests a man that is very much in tune with his with his family, with mm-hmm. you know the people around him. And if you hear stories about people that have worked with him in the past, they have nothing but the highest regard and respect for him, not only as a sportsman, but also as a person, you know, uh, and that is the side of Michael Schumacher that, you know, we never saw because he never allowed everyone to see that part of himself. And we all know the unfortunate, uh you know, skiing accident that occurred. And, you know, not not a lot of people know the actual state of, of Michael Schumacher today. And this documentary towards the end gave us a bit more insight uh, as to, you know, the Michael Schumacher of today while still completely respecting the family's wishes of complete privacy, which I understand and completely respect. So in essence, we we haven't, well, the, the Netflix generation of Drive to Survive, for example, these new fans to Formula One, which there are a lot of, which we love seeing, perhaps, you know, they haven't gotten to know Michael Schumacher or his, his importance to Formula One um before this documentary came out and you know it 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 perhaps inspires them to know more about you know michael schumacher the racing driver michael schumacher the man after this documentary much like they became interested in formula one after watching drive to survive
1: yeah exactly and because he was so much more than f1 you know i think he kept his life private or it wasn't he was like forcefully trying to keep everything private but he was trying to you know have his family be his family, and. I think he spent as much time as he could with them. Like for him, that was his priority. It was, you know, enjoying time with his family, being there to protect them, being there to be a good father figure for the kids, you know, and I, I, I think we all kind of knew this, like, but to see it like this, like us hardcore fans, it was, it was very emotional, you know, cause you just get the sense that this is a person that really understands what is important in life and he lives it fully and, of course he's made mistakes and the way he's been portrayed in the media is probably not fair and people still have an opinion about him um but i don't think anyone can say anything you know negative about him from as a family man or as someone that you know well, just enjoys was, life
0: that like. was one thing that actually also touched me in the documentary that we were able to see you know the the, the private and the personal home videos and, and pictures that no one has ever seen before apart from this family and that they're they're sharing this and to it, it is very intimate to sort of open up the entire world to you know the pictures and, and videos of, of what intended to be only viewed by the eyes of family members and uh, and friends you know and they've opened themselves up to to the world with this documentary that uh, because they also wanted the story to be told and I thought uh, that this documentary was very fair and very truthful you know they did Absolutely. touch upon the controversies without sugarcoating things you yep. know it wasn't uh, uh a michael schumacher praising him into the heaven sort of documentary no 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 either you know so it was it was you know well researched and, and well balanced objectivity was still there uh, and i thought yeah it was it was um i suppose for hardcore formula one fans expecting a formula one documentary it was not that
1: no, because that's that's not what we were expecting Precisely. either of yeah, course yeah, it yeah. is the schumacher the story of michael the person behind you know and like you said like it was very respectfully done the documentary and you know they touched about certain things that towards the end they didn't have to do that mm-hmm. and it was on their terms and you know it gave us a, gave us a little bit more of a glimpse you know um and yeah i think it was done very respectfully but at the end of watching this documentary you know I haven't met the person, but, you know, everyone, I think, that loves F1 would are just having a sense of, like, they miss him, you know, like, hmm. yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, Schumacher not being able to, you know, maybe not, he wouldn't be in the paddock that often, but I'm sure, like, he his opinions would be heard, and he would be so vested and interested in Mick's career as well, you know, and the way Mick spoke about him as well was so touching, like, mm-hmm. the fact that they have a common language now, which is motorsport, and... He wish he could speak that with his his dad, you know, and yeah, I think his legacy lives on, of course, in his son as well and his daughter, of course. But the fact Mick came into F1 and is known as such a nice, nice guy, like he's a good lad, you know, that says everything about Michael as well, you know, so yeah, I
0: think the the legacy he left behind you mentioned not only lives on within mick and his family or people who work with him the fact that you know we are talking about him and everyone has such interest in you know his you know well-being and his career his legacy lives on in all of us you know he's touched so many people all around the world and yeah um let's just go back to the documentary um what stood out at you like what. What was, uh, you know, what comes to mind first when you viewed the the documentary?
1: Uh, I spoke about it already, but family. Like, the mm. fact that this man was so dedicated to his family. Like, I can't understand. Like, it, the, it, Formula One must be such a stressful and hectic job, you know. And we, we see all the drivers and the families, they're always on the road being busy. But I don't know, somehow I think Michael still had that energy left after F1, you know, when after the racetrack, whatever, he would be home and he would be out riding horses or like that, that really stood out to me. Like I felt this is like, we shouldn't look necessarily at stats in sports and be like, this is the kind of person I want to be. I want to break these records and do this. Like, that's great. Of course, having a goal and a motivation, but then seeing Schumacher being able to balance all that, you know, and he was one of the biggest names in the world and, you know, a lot of controversy as well, but he was still able to, to balance that and have, a really nice family life and i think he really understood what is important in life and he's very honest to himself with regards to that and he loved to party and have fun and yeah that's what i took out of it most like all the f1 stuff which i was really looking forward to see you know that it's it was mostly things that i kind of knew and you know it was mm-hmm. they didn't go into it too much in detail so yeah i came out of it really thinking that this 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 man is someone uh, F1 could do with if we had him in the paddock now, you know, or as a team principal or someone like that. But as well, it's like seeing how the family has been able to to fight and cope with this, like how strong they all were as well. So in that sense, it was very it was very inspiring, I have to say.
0: I mean, knowing both myself and, and you um, of how we you know are dedicated Formula One fans. So a lot of the, the things they talked about in the documentary, you presumably already knew So i'll share with you one thing that that was new to me so he joined ferrari in 1995 and it was five long years before they were actually able to win the driver's championship and throughout the whole time you know in the media ferrari michael schumacher said you know we're going to get there and they had complete faith in eventually getting there but behind the scenes um we didn't know how how thin patients were uh were getting with you know is he still the man for us to win this championship and um yeah throughout throughout the years because five years in that sense is a very long time if the entire world's media and spotlight is on one team and one man an entire country is you know behind one man and it just doesn't come after how long do we, you know naturally people then start to think is this still the right man i mean we've seen this happening time and time again especially at ferrari i mean um sebastian vettel four-time world champion same story uh, and yeah. that wasn't a successful and uh, fernando alonso same story yeah multiple world champion at ferrari and after a few years it doesn't come so in that period of time of course it was a different world back then but but how close they actually came and then we also know it wasn't in the documentary but uh Eventually, Michael Schumacher returns to Mercedes because he's always been a Mercedes driver. And at that point, period of time, Mercedes was with McLaren. And how close did he come to actually rejoining uh, Mercedes at McLaren with uh, Mika Hakkinen, for example?
1: I think he was quite close. Like, there was points in the late 90s where, like, Williams he was not in touch with, apparently. Uh, But McLaren, I think... It was, you know, I didn't watch F1 in the late 90s, but in the early 2000s, there was like still talk about him being linked with McLaren. So like those late 90s periods, we look at them now and see, yeah, it's just Shumi slowly building up. Uh, But that was not the case. The Italian media were absolutely always so bad if Ferrari didn't win and they were so, you know, ruthless, basically. And I think after Schumacher, that changed a little bit because he gave them so much. Now it's a bit back to that. But even then in the late 90s, you know, Ferrari didn't have the patience either. But I don't know what Ferrari were expecting because at the end of the day, Ferrari were going downhill. The 96 car was famously worse than the 95 car. And Schumacher said if he had driven the 95 car that year, I mean, he would have won the championship in 1995 instead of the Benetton, for instance, right? And so it it didn't look like a team that was at all up and coming and then in 97 that fiasco with Villeneuve as well yeah that put a proper hamper on it and I think 98 they had a not as good as a car as McLaren 99 unfortunately with the broken legs you know there's a good reason that it didn't really materialize until it did Um but I do think that yeah 99 McLaren did get lucky because I think Schumacher hadn't broken his legs in Silverstone. He would have been the champion then. Ferrari won the Constructors as well. Uh, Irvine almost won uh, the championship anyway. So, yeah, there was a lot of doubt then. But I don't think anyone was really doubting Schumacher. It was not like... I would say it's a little bit the same when Lewis was in a bad McLaren in um, 2010 to 2012. You know, we knew he was one of the best drivers, and on his day, he would be up there. But the car was not always there. For instance, you know, and you would, you, I could guarantee you, Schumacher, um, whatever car you put him in, he would bring out the best of it. Maybe not in his when he came back at Mercedes. You know, but that's a different Schumacher, and he brought up a lot of different things to the team then um, and built it up, and that's his strength, Schumacher. they always talk about he was good at building teams but that's what he did he was he came in he worked hard and he inspired others by working hard by befriending the team i don't think he necessarily did it to gain an advantage like i gotta befriend the mechanics because then they will treat me nice i don't think that was it for him for him that was just his life he loved spending time there he loved fixing it He, he loved you know to be the fastest on track so he would do whatever it took and that kind of work and dedication um i think inspired ferrari a lot and the whole team came together and they had amazing years that's what mercedes have been doing as well like uh you know since schumacher basically joined the team so
0: i think as well this documentary sort of lift the veil of um we see michael schumacher the perfectionist you know he, he works very hard and such but also what others around him, namely Ross Braun or, or Jean Todd have, have mentioned in the media or podcast before is the the massive amount of self-doubt that Michael Schumacher still had yeah. even after winning so many world championships that at the start of the season he had to, you know, have a test for himself to see to prove to himself that he's still got it. And that he was never complacent. You know, even after so many years he himself always put in the work and you can never um attribute complacency to michael schumacher no and uh, he knew
1: his weakness he knew his Mm. strength and he would not try and hide his weakness he would do everything to kind of work on them you know and he would be very open about it i think as well maybe not in interviews but if you actually spoke to the man you know i think he's that kind of sensitive soul you know that yeah he needs to have everything in order and that's why perhaps f1 drivers back then especially came across being so arrogant These guys are, like, super sensitive guys. They want to be the quickest on track. If they're not, they start doubting everything, you know. Um, But, yeah, I think... But he was also a person that was honest with himself and would work on these faults. And we saw him, like, even from the early 90s to the mid-90s, how much he grew as a person, you know. He came in with a bang and was trying to protect himself, but then he opened up more and more and became this figurehead in F1, basically, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a story of growth as well for schumacher for sure
0: so moving on from the documentary in your opinion how has michael schumacher changed formula one
1: so i think because of his dominance in f1 um they were constant regulation changes going against that not necessarily safety but trying to hamper ferrari and that kind of uh regulation change in the mid 2000 i think was mainly due to to how dominant they were and they were dominant because schumacher he brought in a team of trusted people from benetton into ferrari for instance and he worked and and created this stability um so i think in the way the teams operate in how to get every single thing uh, down to the wire all teams do this to a certain extent but schumacher was meticulous and i think he also brought in the fitness aspect in f1 like you gotta have complete perfect body fitness so you can have mental strength so you can drive at your peak you can have talent but if you don't keep in shape you know you're not going to maximize the talent and he brought that into f1 he had a gym um that sponsored him and he brought it to every track and did that and no one really did that before this f1 drivers might be strong and bulky because they needed muscle and strength for cornering not necessarily the stamina to you know have a clear head during the whole race this is what he brought in and now we see in f1 everyone does that in every kind of preparation from food to physique and everything and I think he did that in many departments that he was directly influential in and with Ferrari as well it was a team at the time that perhaps was very disjointed you know they had design offices in, in UK at one point and in Italy and all the business side of it with Ferrari being a brand and I think he managed to be able to separate the Ferrari brand to focus on that and the F1 team to purely work together and focus on one goal a championship for ferrari and they did that and then they maintained that and i think that kind of work ethic and work culture in f1 is something without schumacher it wouldn't it wouldn't have happened so quickly and it wouldn't have happened so yeah immediate it was very much something he brought into f1 what do you think right
0: yeah i completely agree um you talk about the fitness level i just want to sort of broaden that to science you know mm-hmm. bringing in sports science into formula one not only in the 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 fitness the the physical uh preparation for it but also looking at things like you mentioned diets before they're they're measuring oxygen levels uh in in the blood where during testing they would take samples of before the test started during the test and after the test and see uh how the body reacts to the, the the actual physical strain uh that the car is put under so he essentially um with the limited technology that was available then already started it. and once technology developed um he was the first one to sort of try to incorporate it if not into the car then into the team or just into his 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 uh his lifestyle yep so if if we look at you know because he raced with the generation of Senna Alain Prost uh uh, nigel mansell you know a different breed of formula one drivers legends of themselves but michael schumacher in my opinion just raised the game because he brought something that even these great champions didn't think about because yep. you know they they extracted all the performance based on brute strength or talent alone and michael schumacher even though he had the talent to compete he realizes that in order to raise my game talent alone is not enough i have to find every way in order to you know be successful to beat yep. everyone, and, and he explored every single o- uh, avenue and option in order to try to eke some bit of performance out of it.
1: Yep, and I don't think we've seen anything like it since. Like I mm. can't like Lewis is not the same with him and Mercedes. You know, it's not the same when Fettel was at Ferrari, like that having the whole team behind one person and actually mm. listening to the driver feedback. You know, like I think of course they were listening to driver feedback before as well, but when Schumacher came in and actually started to, you know, say we should try this and it works, then they start listening to him more. And even if he's wrong about something, you know, they try it out at least. And one example is like when he was at Benetton, I think it was 95. He had um, three speedometers on in the car, basically. So one, he, w- he would click a button, I think, how, how it works. So one is for entry speed, mid corner and exit speed. So he would do that every corner or he would remember one specific corner and test out setup and see exactly when he breaks what is his minimum speed when he enters what is the apex speed and the exit speed so he could see if he was quicker or not not even thinking about delta times or whatever but just how he attacked those kind of corners and I think that's not something you would just ask your engineers can you just do that and we fix it that he said he asked for it they gave it to him and you know if it if it works it works and that kind of gravitas you know i i i still don't think we will probably not see an f1 it's it's a different kind of thing now i don't think a team will be able to stand behind one driver and the driver lead the team of course sean todd was team principal ross braun a technical director rory byrne designer um but i think schumacher was the man at ferrari you know and now at mercedes it's lewis's team sure but it's toto's team you know it's it's it doesn't have that yeah same gravitas schumacher was many different aspects of a Formula One team combined into one person, not just a driver, I think.
0: Credit to Lewis, though, that the, the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes driver of today was much different, or is much different than the Lewis Hamilton that joined Mercedes as a, as a sure. one-time world champion. I think even in um, uh, when, he, when he came to Mercedes, people sort of viewed him as a mercenary. He was there for one goal alone, and that is to win world championships, which he achieved. But over that period of time lewis also grew to then realize the importance of the team behind him to then Absolutely. be in sync with the brand mercedes to to you know spend uh, that time not becoming complacent even though they've uh, they've won multiple championships and you know the man that brought that culture to that team was actually michael schumacher exactly and we mustn't forget his importance that Yes, his, his comeback to Formula One with Mercedes. It was a fairy tale story, but when you look judge the results, you know they don't add up to, to, to the hype and to the expectations of everyone. But at the yeah. same time, when we look at the, the results indirectly, you know without him having come in and set up and brought every, you know brought his mentality, his, his effort into shaping the Mercedes team for the future, Nowadays, they're reaping the rewards from that from that legwork that he did, so that even though his comeback uh, period wasn't successful as the fans expect, you know, we have huge expectations, especially because it's Michael Schumacher, especially because he's coming back as you know the the record holder of everything at that time. So and um, they weren't able to 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 match the expectations in terms of results, no. but now that that we see. You know results from from mercedes people at mercedes attribute that success partly to to michael schumacher's work at mercedes as well
1: exactly and just a bit thing about his comeback now that you mentioned it i think we should do an entire episode on tires alone because a lot of it has to do with why like that have you I think got he, enough salt or what oh not for that <laughs> i think uh, but yeah i know it's an interesting one because his, his his comeback was not ideal it wasn't great i was looking forward to it massively he didn't perform straight away i didn't even have high expectations you know he he just had a neck injury from motorbike a mm-hmm. couple of years before that i don't know how big uh that played into it all to be honest um i know some people say it was quite severe and worse than what people say but yeah it, it was a little bit of a different michael but now in hindsight i also see it as a michael with a different goal like he was not there necessarily to just win it and for himself now he was there more for the team i think and he was playing mind games with Rosberg, but in more of a playful way. I'm not sure if Rosberg really realized that, but maybe he was also harsh to Rosberg, but I think he kind of inspired Rosberg a little bit. And even though they weren't best of mates when they were teammates there, you know I mean? They could have been, I don't get it. Like they were two Germans in a German team, you know? Uh, But yeah, for some reason they didn't get along well, but I think that's something also brought something out of Rosberg, you know? And famously, he didn't really get on with the Pirelli tires. Like, that's so hard to judge as well, but I can imagine him being a Bridgestone man for the whole of his career, you know, having a tire manufacturer work with him. Like, that's another thing as well, working with mm-hmm. the tire manufacturer yeah, yeah. so you can get everything out of the car because that is the most important part of the racing car, right? And, yeah, that's something that he could do. He wasn't, like, at the time, I thought maybe Schumacher was the most talented driver ever in F1. But the older I get, I, I really don't think he was the most talented the most successful, sure, and the person that could get the most out of everything. But I think he's um, he's a genius in a different way with mm-hmm. how he could work yeah. and get everything together. Because F1 is all about science. A little bit, little bit of scientific thing here doesn't work out. It doesn't work on the rest of the car. He was the kind of man that would try to understand that and see what he could get out of it. And yeah, with the Bridgestone domination, they basically were Ferrari's tire supplier, right? So... Yeah, yeah,
0: let's 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 run with that. Let's get into some some races that come to mind when you think about Michael Schumacher, and we mentioned the Bridgestone um, tires. How tires were uh, a massive part of, you know, his his driving. You know, we, we can talk about his driving. We can talk about his style and his technique, but ultimately strategies. there, are, yeah, uh, strategies. Ultimately, there is um, one race that comes to mind that is the epitome of where it all comes together and that was Hungary
1: 1998 yes I was I was I was thinking you were gonna say Manicure 2004 and then I would say Hungary 98 but yes I was thinking (laughs) Hungary 98 as well
0: so to be in a uh, context um he was in the Ferrari fighting the McLarens he qualified in third position behind both McLarens and was stuck there in the race um uh, the the car of that season um, was not as good as the McLaren. Uh, the McLaren at that time had wonderful technological inventions like a second brake pedal and such. So it was the car to beat. And on pure pace alone, the Ferrari couldn't compete even though they had a good championship fight with uh, with uh, both McLarens. So realizing that he was stuck behind the McLarens, um, the, the pit wall of Ferrari, Ross Braun, decided to alternate the strategy to, to um, switch Schumacher to a three-stop strategy, so having more pit stops than the rest. But with fresh tires and with blistering pace, they managed to pip both uh, McLarens uh, to ultimately win the race. And yep. if you haven't seen this race, look it up on YouTube or Please watch do. the entire race, yeah. because when you see him coming in for stops and knowing that he has short stints and all the laps he needs to do, need to be perfect qualifying type laps in race conditions which of course are different are are more dynamic than uh qualifying uh, uh laps but he he pulled it off and that you know race was just everything lined up it was you know a very risky but good strategy but you needed to have the man in the car that was able to deliver that you know sector by sector lap after lap and i would say not many people can 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 do that no uh yeah
1: that is what like this is what i want f1 to be i Mm. want f1 to be a sport where you can drive flat out throughout the whole race battle it out you know nothing is about conserving anything it's about just racing pure racing as hard as you can and that race like that i like ryan said look it up on youtube i I, out of curiosity watched it once and i was mesmerized just seeing schumacher just pushing and pushing you can see is on the limit for every single lap he's on It's absolutely insane and everything just comes together you know the strategy and everything and that was the gamble that him and ross braun would take sometimes during the race you know like it would be absolutely insane like i wouldn't ever think of doing something like that. It's too risky but he could because he, he had the consistency you know he could deliver at that pace all the time because of all these factors we mentioned he knows the tires well he he knows the engineers well he knows what they're all, they're all on the same page you know and he's in good shape he he, he has full trust and then that's mm. what yeah greatness comes out of and i think yeah that is one of those races where you just think this is amazing because there, there's so many variables that goes into a race and then in the end it's just like we just got to make the car light and quick and we need schumacher to just push and it worked i think
0: today in formula one what happens more often than not is this disconnect between driver and pit wall where you know in one scenario the pit wall is telling the driver to do this according to the strategy uh, strategy and the driver is like that's not possible with these tires i can't do that the pace is too high i can't do that or vice versa the driver telling the pit wall no that's not the right strategy um you know we should do it this and Somehow, one overrides the other. Whereas with, uh, you know, especially during the Ferrari days, the pit wall and the driver in the car were always at one. And they had complete trust and faith in one another that if the pit wall told the driver to do something, the driver would do it perfectly. Vice versa, if the driver told the pit wall to do something, they would do it. Complete and other trust in one another. And that's how they achieved results. Yep,
1: exactly. And that's a Schumacher trait, like for sure. Because we we have so many radio messages we hear now where I I also feel like the team should listen more to the drivers um, mm-hmm. of course they have more data and everything we had that with
0: Carlos Sainz the uh, a exactly. uh, couple of Grand yeah. Prix's ago yeah
1: because so yeah I, I think you know the drivers know yeah. in that moment what the tires are going through of course the engineers can help them you know but if the driver feels they don't have confidence in what they're doing right now then they're not gonna be able to perform and I think yeah sh- they listened to Schumacher and it worked out so well because they were all like had that mutual kind of respect um, yeah
0: so, yeah, yeah, when I say Michael Schumacher, which race or race has come to your mind, to the forefront?
1: I would say Hungary 98 as well, um, as you mentioned, but Manicur 2004, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple in 2006. Um, let me think. So I my first season watching was the 2004 season. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Apart from him being super dominant, there was Mani But other than that, I don't remember much other than him just winning all the races. You know, I remember Spa because Kimi won, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, 2006 Japan was a was a heartbreak. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, that was actually, I was going to say Brazil 2006. But we cannot uh-huh. talk about Brazil 2006 without mentioning Japan 2006. Yeah. So the story was, um, at the time, I was watching the race and they had commercial feeds during the race. Yeah and you could hear when commercials were coming up because then you know the commentators would say something or something like that or they, they play music so you knew it was coming up and i saw him going into uh you know before um going on the bridge so Dan- dagner well um, the, the quick yeah Degner, the, the quick right-handers yeah. both of them and i saw a puff of smoke coming uh at the back of the ferrari i didn't i thought miss saw saw or something and then it cut to commercial brakes and my heart stopped saying no it it can't be because the the reliability of the ferrari engine was legendary you know he had very very especially that year so it comes back you know the pictures come back and we see him at the side of the track out of the car and i lose my mind and i screamed um which, which I naturally do, you know, that mm-hmm, is one exactly. that evokes emotion in, in me. And uh, he DNF'd and at the end of the race, he was 10 points behind Fernando Alonso. He was leading that race, you know. So, yeah. had he won that race, it could have been a completely different race uh, in Brazil. But we, we had to Brazil and this was Michael Schumacher's last race before his first retirement. But uh, in all our minds, it was the last time we would see Michael Schumacher wow. in Formula One. So it's a It's a highly charged emotional race for everyone. And uh, he qualified 10th, that race, and um, not the best qualifying session. It goes on the way he um, overtakes a couple of cars. I think he's in about fifth position, or something like that, fighting with uh, one of the Renaults, which was Fisichella, because of course, Alonso was in contention for the world Mm -hmm. championship, so he's far ahead. They touched, uh, he had a puncture, and Schumacher had to pit again. Um, came back or rejoined the track uh, just in front of his teammate, Philippe Massa, who was leading that race. So mm-hmm. almost being lapped. his
1: first year as a Ferrari driver. Yeah, on home track But then Brazil. to
0: see the fight back that Michael Schumacher did going from the back of the grid and eventually finishing fourth, but with moves that are just like man why are you stopping like why yeah, are you stopping that this is his choice yeah but this <laughs> is why we tune in you know yeah. that raw gritted determination uh, you know massive skill and talent that he just wanted to show the world one last time what he's all about and um yeah it's a shame he finished fourth a podium and some champagne would have been so fitting and deserving but yeah, it um, to me that was the last race that we saw the great Michael Schumacher. The Schumacher that returned with Mercedes was a different Michael Schumacher. Um, it would have been a great driver had uh, and uh, the result would have matched had his name not been Michael Schumacher. You yeah. sort of understand what I'm saying. But um, yeah, uh, too many great races to yeah, come I, to I, mind. I, yeah. But these these two sort of uh, especially the last race sort of is the example of the type of emotion that he managed to evoke in me as as, as a fan. Um, you know, knowing that this was his last race, knowing that he was in the championship hunt uh, in his final season as a Ferrari driver. And um, yeah, to me, it was the last time we would see Michael Schumacher, the, the idol growing up, watching Formula One, race in Formula One. So, and then to have a fantastic race uh, as his final race, then, yeah, it was, yeah, no one could have asked for more.
1: Yeah, I want to rewatch the 2006 season now actually because it's been <laughs> a while. I think it's one of those seasons I haven't really watched. I've watched Hungary 2006 loads of times, for instance. But yeah, yeah, it brought back some good memories, man. Because I remember that as well. Because I came into F one being a Kimi fan, like I said, you know. And in 2005, Kimi and Alonso were were enemies, and Schumacher was also a bit of an enemy, you know. Mm. But then in 2006. I was rooting for Schumacher because even though he was like... It was easy to hate him because of the media and how they portray him and stuff. But then in the end, like, yeah. Um, I wanted to see him bring the fight to Fernando as well, you know. Um, yeah, it, it, it is... You just mentioned the retirement stuff and I just wanted to talk about that because he was kind yeah. of forced out of Ferrari. I think yeah, yeah. he was playing with the idea of retirement for a long time, you know, because he did want to spend more time with his family and stuff. But then... Kimi had been linked with Ferrari for a long time as well, like even since his Sauber days, apparently. And then, you know, last minute, I think Luca di Montezemolo sent out a press release saying that Kimi will be driving for them next year and Shumi will be out. And this was already signed like a year before that, actually. So it's interesting what their original plan was, I think, was to have Kimi be next to to Michael. Um, But... They didn't want that at Ferrari. They were done with Schumacher. Now they're going to focus on Kimi. And in the end, Kimi brought them a championship, but not the dedication that Schumacher brought to the team, you know? So I think in 2007, had they both stayed at the same team, I, th- I think there's a big chance Michael would have won that championship up against Kimi, who at the time was at his peak and probably the fastest driver, um, simply because yeah. Michael just could get everything out of the race and the car and everything At most times, you know? And Kimi famously can't do that
0: yeah so um yeah any any last words about uh, the original msc
1: i d- wish the documentary was a bit longer no um simply because there's just so much to talk about i think it was done really well i hope there will be like an extended edition that just goes into more you know at his ferrari years as well even though it was lots of success there's, there's also a lot of storytelling there that could be told But i think it was it was a really good documentary and it was very respectful which i'm very happy that it was because that was the most important it was of course made in you know cooperation with the schumacher family and yeah it it was touching like these people that we've been growing up looking up to so much like schumacher is a hero of ours but he's a human being and a really good Mm -hmm. human being it seems you know and yeah um was really really good documentary i'm i'm so happy they made it i i wish it would have something like this would have come a bit earlier to be honest but it's great timing now with mick as well in f1 true and yeah i can't wait to see what mick is going to bring to f1 how his career is going to pan out and yeah i just yeah
0: i mean as you said it was a beautiful documentary and i think they'll leave it at that you know it was with the family's blessing and participation mm -hmm. and they had final approval of it as well so um you know it was it was wonderfully done uh, yeah. it gave us more insight that we needed you know for years as fans have been wondering um, but naturally as fans as well we always tend to you know become greedy and want to see more uh, one aspect I would have liked to um, to have more light shed on was actually about the, you know the the sibling relationship between actually na- yeah, now that you mention it because that's something
1: that has not really been touched maybe exactly. early in the career and then it just kind of Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, um one one um one thing that came to mind in the documentary and I've seen this press conference lots of times before, but when uh I think it was Peter Windsor, the the journalist who used to do the press conferences before Tom Clarkson, um, told Michael that he managed to equal the the um, the record number of wins of uh Ayrton Senna and he had a moment and he became emotional and it was Mika Hakim and that was the first to sort of put his arm around him yeah. even though his brother was sitting right next to him so that dynamic has always been um you know interesting secretive uh and and not a lot of light has been shown on that so would have loved to find out more about that yeah but we cannot we are nitpicking here we are just that's being true greedy. that's true but I, can i just say th-
1: something about that relationship because i think schumacher was very very nice to his brother and was really protective, and was kind of paving the way for his brother to be able to follow him along. And I think his brother, perhaps, like th- this is gonna be complete, complete wrong, perhaps. But I think maybe he was a bit spoiled by Michael and became a bit rebellious and like I can do better than my brother, and had a different attitude that Michael was trying to help him. And that's always the impression that I got that Michael wanted to be closer to his little brother, but maybe pushed him a- away by accident by being so successful. Um, well, at it is the same a bit strange. Time-
0: you know and of course this is just coming from our armchairs but yeah. as as a human being to always have to be compared to someone else who happened yeah. to be your big brother it can affect you know Absolutely. your psyche it can affect every little grain of of your dna because your own dna is always compared to someone else yeah you know so that um you know in order to endure that to withstand that because every day every questions will be about him and then about someone else as well to have to endure that requires such mental strength so everyone has their own coping mechanisms in order to to deal with that we see michael's coping mechanisms we've never really seen halves and yeah it's uh, yeah of course completely out of uh, out of left field we don't know uh, the actual things but to me the justification perhaps is a wrong word but we have to look at the full picture in order to attempt to understand it for now, we will tr- truly never know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it would be nice to, to, to shut some light on that yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. But again, nitpicking and all that, cause mm. there's so much to the, to this man and I'm glad that he's now being brought back into F1 with his, you know, with his legacy and his memory and this documentary, just like drive to survive has done. I think, it will open up the eyes for a lot of newer fans to to who michael was and yeah they'll get a different picture than i think what most people expect you know the human part of him because he was a good human being even though the british media loved to <laughs> pretend he wasn't but yeah, for
0: sure so uh hit us up if you would like some recommendations on some other schumacher races to watch uh, as examples uh we have i mean there are too many races to just Mention and highlight in this uh episode of podcast but uh if you want to find out more uh come at us quickly about uh russia uh, the grand prix being held there um for the penultimate time actually uh next year we're going to sochi again before we are moving to st petersburg oh is that confirmed yes oh interesting yeah yeah Very so interesting uh sochi um it's what, flooded. Do you, what do you expect
1: uh i expect ferrari have brought big engine upgrades Um, but they're going to have penalties as well Um, actually don't have a lot of expectation I hope Bottas will uh, prove himself here it is his track Um, Mm. not too sure about where the Red Bulls will be this weekend I have a feeling do you think Verstappen
0: will take the engine penalty simply because he had that three um, place grid penalty
1: I think he will I think he will it makes sense especially with the weather forecast and what it looks like now he, he might right. as well do it at this race um because there's gonna be tracks that they will be stronger at where they are mm. more sure and they need a better better setup so I would do it yeah I would you do know if what this I was, was just F1? thinking hmm? about
0: what? I was just thinking about that this championship being so close what it needs is a penultimate race at Suzuka yeah you know it yeah. needs that to have that. Climactic, dramatic, yeah, you know, beautiful track as as the final race where the championship will go down to the wire, and we've seen some magic happen in Toluca yeah. uh, in championship fights. Before. Wake up so, early
1: morning, super yeah, excited yeah. for the championship battle. Yeah, but okay.
0: unfortunately, yeah. we're not going to Japan this year. Uh, the calendar is still uh, there's a you know TBD uh, yep. race on the calendar, so we don't know if we're going to 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 have the full season or not. Um, but yeah. What are you expecting in Russia very quickly? For
1: I expect a, a bit of a snooze fest. if it's going to be dry, if it's going to be wet. Let's see. I, I would be very interested to see how, how it would pan out in the wet. It's, it's, I'm not looking super forward to this race. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's one of those races where I think it can be a bit boring. And I haven't really looked up much for the race either, to be honest. So um, yeah, Now I think Mercedes will, will have a good weekend. And I really am curious to see what Ferrari uh, have brought. Possibly McLaren will be be in contention here again. Um, But, yeah, there are some slow, finicky corners at the end of the lap that might not suit the car. So, yeah, let's see. And we don't know who's going to win. It's one of those seasons, you know, so that's super exciting anyway.
0: Yeah, when that happens, we shall return. Mm -hmm. Uh, I generally hope you enjoyed this episode uh, reflecting at uh, the man and career of Michael Schumacher. Um, Should you have anything uh, to ask, to talk about, Uh, you can always leave a voice message at anchor that uh we can uh, play and, and answer in the meantime um be safe and keep, keep fighting michael and keep fighting for sure
1: yeah Bye bye